Welcome to the Frederick Faith Debate on Frederick's News Radio 930 WFMD. I'm your host and moderator, Troy Skinner, joined this week by Jonathan Schweitzer, Senior Pastor of Crossroads Valley Chapel, and Troy Wallace, Director of Revive Israel North America and the Assistant Congregation Leader at El Shaddai Congregation in Frederick. I want to encourage you to visit us online, WFMD.com, keyword faith, where if you keep trying to podcast and have a hard time doing so and you keep sending in your complaints to the web content managers and that sort of thing, and they might fix it that much faster. That's right. So Send in your complaints. Because uh, we are very high on the list of, of uh, hits on the website. Uh, our part of the website gets a large portion of hits, and so let them know. Uh, send in your complaints because uh, that'll help them to move more. And it's true. It's, I, I, I'm a little bit astounded by it and, and humbled by it, and uh, I have my theories on why it might be so. But yeah, obviously, the main page of the website is the most popular page. That right. Makes sense. It's yeah, the landing yeah. page. Everybody okay. goes there yeah. first, right? Uh, and then the news pages do very well, and some of the contesting pages Two, three, do, do very well. But the faith debate page is right up there. It's the fifth most popular page. And if you don't count the home page, is the fourth most popular page on the entire website. And that is because of you, the listener. Yeah, that is awesome. So, and I think what that means is that you guys are very thoughtful and you like to do your research. And so sometimes you come back and you're like, I want to listen to that again. What did Schweitzer say? I'm sure he was wrong. I want to be more carefully pay attention and figure out what it was that he said was wrong. Yeah, so good you, for you guys. If you want to be right kind of in life, just study Jonathan's arguments very well and don't make them. <laughs> That's right. And make other arguments and you'll do just By fine the way, Troy is sporting a goatee these days and I'm not sure what I think about that. No? No. I think it looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. See Troy Wallace. Uh, Troy kind of has a has, has kind of a full beard action going on. One Troy Usually. likes another Troy's uh, facial hair. That's right. That's there right. You know. It's a Trojan yeah. There's like Troy. A sitcom in there somewhere. I think. <laughs> uh, well, since you like to go to the website and read and learn, I know you like to know what I'm reading these days. I do. Uh, a book by R. Kent Hughes, "Disciplines of a Godly Man." Uh, I would give Very that nice. a definite uh, two thumbs up. If you're a church leader looking for uh, study material for a men's group or something, I would suggest... You know, I've been reading stuff about anger recently. I'm amazed at how many people that are believers struggle with anger. And I've been uh, studying it out uh, just to get like a better sense of what do the experts say and, and what a Christian psychologist do to tie all that together. And uh, and I've just been impressed that there's some quality Christian material out there on the subject of anger. And uh, And if that's you and you struggle with anger... Man, don't stay in your anger, man. Let, get, get a little bit of help and do a little bit of study because there is ways that uh, the gospel and the grace of God can be applied to that to uh, to help it. To so be, can we get on with the show already? Some... Yeah, we're well, like, come on. It's yeah, enough yeah, already. Yeah, Jeez. Yeah, yeah, see. All this garbage about anger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's enough. So, and now, Troy, remember. Yeah, count to, angry, but do not sin. Count to ten, <laughs> Troy. Take a deep breath. Get in a yoga position. Don't, don't let the sun go down on this. I'm telling you, righteous anger is okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. Actually, the, the, your, your little bit on the last show about the whole Sandra Fluck case was uh, yeah. was righteous anger. Yeah. It was pathos. I, did, I didn't sound angry, though, right? You no. sounded convicted, and you were passionate, and that's righteous convicted, locked up. anger. Yeah. I know pathos. I know right? Pathos. Yeah, I, I like using that word. Pathos. Word of the week, pathos. Pathos. Pathos, pathos, what's it mean? Pathos means passion. Passion. When you make your argument, you make it with passion. Yeah, baby. Faith debate show. <laughs> All right. So Except when you say yeah, the, baby, that doesn't sound like passion root, to me. That's that also like, the root word for pathology. <laughs> it totally <laughs> is. <laughs> right, because pathology is a is a problem, is an emotional problem. Right? You got right. that? Yeah. So see that? You're your Greek as a messianic Jewish guy, not just your Hebrew, <laughs> but your Greek also is spotless. 
So, I don't know, once upon a time, Jonathan's walking down the street, bumps into Troy Wallace, who's the uh, one of the big shot leaders over at Actually, Shaddai, Troy right? has now become our church's landlord. Okay. So we are now meeting, as of uh, this show will air probably before, just, just after Easter, we'll be Actually, meeting at their building well, okay. on Sundays. I didn't want to put pressure on you, but last week was April Fool's Day, <laughs> and so I didn't want to put too much of a, core, you know, too much of a connection. And now right. this week's show, it is, it is Resurrection Sunday. Um, Interesting. Nice. So what does so, that mean? So we're talking about resurrection. So you got to be particularly good today. Yeah. So so we will be holding a Easter egg hunt this morning <laughs> as this show is going on. This show is kind of like church attendance. We will not be holding an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> That's right. Actually, Troy Troy hates uh, all of the religious co- correlations of the of the holidays. I mean, the the non religious like like uh, Christmas trees and all mm. this kind of stuff. And I think you guys. Would like really get along about those kinds of issues, Perhaps. you know, and staying away from anything pagan about yeah. these Christian holidays. But if our listenership mirrors what happens in congregations all across the land, then our listenership today will be ten times what it is on a usual <laughs> Sunday. So you got to be good. Okay, okay, you I'm be good. very stressed. All right, so my passion just went through the roof. My pa- my pathos just became pathology. So so Jonathan bumps into Troy, his new landlord, and then says, "Hey, what's up, Troy?" And Troy says, "Let me tell you a few things." And Jonathan says, "Wow." Those are really cool things. Let's have you on the faith debate to talk about those things. The context what, what, was what that that uh, we had the opportunity to be in the building with uh, with El Shaddai uh, on Sunday mornings. In the context that I realized that my eschatology was different enough that I wanted to make sure that Troy and the Messianic Jewish guys weren't going to be uncomfortable with that. Right. And so uh, we sat down to just have the discussion at Panera Bread with John Shook, yeah. uh, my associate pastor there. And uh, we dug into what are the differences. To, to summarize it, um, I'm of the opinion. I'm interested in this. As a preterist, that that the majority of a what happened. A preterist or a partial preterist? As a partial preterist. Okay. That the majority of what happened. Another word of the week. We'll define that later. Okay. The majority of Matthew 24 and Revelation already occurred in AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed and in the events leading up to AD 70. And so most of what people talk about when they talk about the end times, I'm of the opinion has already happened. Uh, and that we saw a, the fulfillment of those prophecies, just like Christ said that the, that this generation will not pass away until these things have been fulfilled. And if that's the case, then, you know, things like, uh, the uh, seven-year tribulation or things like um, uh, what does it look like at the second return of Christ? What, are the, what is the meaning behind the second return of Christ? And for those that are Messianic Jewish and most people that are, um, are pre-millennial, and, uh, and I'm not sure what you are in terms of tribulation, you know, the whole Left Behind series defines this, the, this sense that, that there's going to be these years of tribulation and then the, the, the beast is going to, going to reveal himself and things are going to get worse and worse. And then right at the end of that, Christ is going to come. He's going to put his feet down on uh, Mount Zion. And, uh, and uh, right as Armageddon is happening, there's going to be a sense of, uh, of uh, him returning and, and judging the wicked and making everything right. And um, while I believe that there is a final return of Christ that will be at the end of time, um, I'm of the opinion that the majority of that tribulation uh, happened al- already in AD 70. And so I wanted to make sure that that, that wasn't something that made 
uh, Troy and the Messianic Jewish community uncomfortable, specifically because most of those that are partial preterists are, here's another word of the week, are, um, uh, they, they reject the idea that Israel, that the Jews are still important in the purposes of God. And so they're called replacement theologians, that the Church of Jesus Christ has replaced uh, Israel, and so the Church of Jesus Christ is now Israel, and so the, the Jewish people no longer uh, you know, are as significant as a distinct group of people in that process. And so I wanted to talk it through with Troy so that I could clarify that I'm not a replacement theologian, uh, though many of my partial preterist friends are, right. and just to make sure that, that they were at peace with that before we moved in together. I didn't want to catch them off guard down the That was the, road. the place from which he in- invited me for this conversation. Uh, I think you did right on the spot while we were on the, on the phone yeah, that day. Yeah, because the quality and, of the interaction uh, was just enjoyable and fun. I mean, he was digging into these, these issues and he was passionate about it. I think we have to define it. partial preterism now because you kind of just explain what the view is. Basically, all the things that would need to happen before Christ's return... Yeah. Uh, for the most part, anyway, occurred yeah. uh, in, in the fall of the Jewish temple in A.D. 70, about 40-ish, 35 years, 40 years after Christ's uh, A full preterist would be of the opinion that, that all of it has happened. Everything happened already. Already, and that we're now in the millennium, and, and the millennium is a time frame where the kingdom of God is expanding around the world, and it's going to result in a final you know, filling up of the kingdom of God you know, kind of covering the world. And Catholicism generally tended to be preterist in its approach uh, to... Which uh, another to word for that, which in, as another technical word, would be an amillennialist point of view. Exactly. Which the idea that is put out in Revelation 20 about uh, the Messiah ruling on the earth for a thousand years is somehow happening now or has already happened, uh, even though it's been 2,000 years uh, since he ascended into heaven, so so those the the preterism and amillennialism often go together, and we and now there are different streams of thought in the messianic Jewish world. Yeah, this is the difficulty view. is that you've got all these camps that at the end totally. of the day nobody nobody really fits a precise camp. So we throw out these terms that are supposed to and represent I, things, and and I think that yeah. they can be boxy, which is why I appreciate yeah. Jonathan's willingness to say he's a partial preterist. I mean, he's not absolutely boxing himself in. Uh, you know, sometimes when it comes to uh, uh, millennialism in general, people say it's kind of uh, pan-millennial. It'll all pan out in the end. And I think that that's a, a, a nice colloquialism or a nice little phrase to throw around. But I find that these things are important, particularly when you start to put the, the, the first century context back in its original Jewish framework. The idea that the expectation for, for the Messiah of Israel, in this case Jesus, to have a political deliverance that leads to the promises to the son of David being made full on the earth for a period of time where he rules as the king is was a righteous expectation in the first century and is a, also a righteous expectation in the present. Uh, I think that's the goal of our faith. The goal of our faith is to see Jesus sitting in the chair of David in Jerusalem, ruling and administering peace 
over the whole world. And, and where Jonathan and I, I think, part ways is that I don't see that as the, the culmination of the age, but actually the beginning of the age uh, where Jesus, at the end of that thousand years, according to, to, to Revelation and also 1 Corinthians 15, turns the kingdom over to the Father. And we see something that we haven't seen in the whole scope of biblical history. We see the Father and the kingdom of the Father cohabitating with the kingdom of man. And it's, it's a brilliant thing. I mean, it, depending on how you define this figure in the Garden of Eden, uh, uh, who's a man that's, that's kind of representing God, uh, is that the Son? Well, John 1.18 says that no man has seen God at any time, but the Son who's in the bosom of the Father has declared him or made him known. So really at the end, the end that you see, Jonathan, I see that as Jesus, Yeshua, turning the kingdom over to the Father and inaugurating an age on earth that has never existed. But that thousand years when Jesus is here as a man sitting in the throne of De- in the throne of David in Jerusalem, he's putting all things under his feet as a man. He's fulfilling his calling and the reason that he was born. Yeah. Okay, so, so this gets very technical. So, yeah, so very I wanna, quickly. So yeah. I want to clarify a little bit. Uh, for, uh, Jonathan Schweitzer, senior pastor of Crossroads Valley Chapel, uh, you said that you're a partial preterist. Yeah. And then uh, Troy Wallace, who's with El Shaddai Congregation, uh, said that partial preterism and amillennialism t- generally go together. Uh, yep. But you, I wanted, would you put yourself in the amillennial camp? Um, okay, define amillennial versus postmillennial yeah, for me well, again. And, and then probably f- for the sake of our one listener, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, millennial, mill, thousand, you know, it, it, millennium stands for a thousand years. Uh, the argument that between the amillennialists and the, and the millennialists, either the postmillennialists or premillennialists, is whether or not the, the word millennial should be taken as a literal 1,365 day years or if it's meant to represent a very, very long time of undeterminate length. So the amillennialists would say uh, it's not a literal 1,000 years, 365 days. It's it's meant to represent a long time. There's lots of argument and logic behind their position on that. I won't get bogged down in the technical arguments of that, but that would be the, the amillennial position is there is a millennium, but not in a literal 1,000-year sense. And then the, there's two primary millennialist camps, the premillennials, and the post-millennials, and the pre and post have to do with when Jesus returns. So a premillennialist believes that Jesus returns previous to the start of the millennium. So Jesus arrives, and then the millennium starts. Post-millennialists believe that we need to have 1,000 years of peace, uh, and then at the end of that one, literal 1,000 years, 365-day years, then... Christ returns. He requires post at the end of the millennium. So those are the, the primary views. Almost nobody, uh, s- statistically, percentage-wise, almost nobody's post-millennial uh, anymore. Really, the argument comes down to premillennial and amillennial views and making it even more complicated. Within the amillennial camp, you've got the partial, the full preterists, the partial preterists. There's, uh, there's probably other camps. Yeah. And then in the premillennial camp... And this is the thing about eschatology. You have all this terminology. Right. That right. even being able to converse about it means that you have to you know, learn now all this vocabulary. You heard, if you were paying close attention, you heard Troy throw out uh, yeah. while Jonathan was, was talking. He might not have caught it, but he's, uh, he responded to something that Jonathan was inferring a question, and he said, uh, post-trib. Yeah. So I'm assuming from that that you were set, you were claiming that your position would be a post-trib. Christ uh, returns after the tribulation. Yes. So there are three different views, prim- primarily three different views on that. The tribulation is the seven-year period 
which comes from the time, time and a half, time, times and half a time uh, in Revelation, right? So you have right. these, you have two, three and a half year periods that together make uh, uh, seven years. Uh, some people that are uh, premillennialists, which would be the which would be Troy Wallace's position, right? Say that Christ uh, raptures up his church uh, at a uh, has like a partial coming and raptures up his church at a certain point. Uh, is that point before the tribulation starts? Is it in the middle of the tribulation, or is it at the end of the tribulation, post tribulation, right? And so that's kind of they fall into one of those three camps. So premillennialists don't all agree with each other. So there's lots of argumentation. So somebody could be a pre premillennialist and disagree with a lot of what Troy is going to say. Absolutely. People could be amillennialist and disagree with an awful lot of what Jonathan's going to say. And, and it's not quite as simple as all that. It's right. very complex. And that, yeah, yeah. that's where, before you took that good segue, which I appreciate, was the Messianic Jewish worldview is not unified on this issue. Yeah, yeah. I think that many fall into the... Is, t- is Tikkun, pre- your part of Messianic Judaism, pretty yes. unified? Yes, for the most part, yeah. people inside I of so. are connected to Tikkun, yeah. which is a network of Messianic Jewish congregations, and, primarily in America, but there are a few And that's the, the group of guys that, that I got my master's degree with right. and uh, who were close in close relationship with my parents back uh, in the 80s okay. and 90s. So, now, yeah. this might be unfair, but the simplest litmus test to try to get a quick read on whether or not somebody is amillennial or not is the question of literal versus uh, metaphoric or, or representative. So do you believe that when the Bible is talking about the millennium, it's talking about a literal 1,000 years or 365 days, or do you leave it open to the possibility that it's just representative for a long time? Because if you're going to hold to it's a literal thousand years, then you wouldn't be by definition all millennial. Yeah, I think Jonathan at this is still stage of the ball game, out I'm still of working the partial. it out. Yeah, that partial buys him, in my opinion, a lot of room <laughs> to make cases on both sides. And, yeah. and I think I'm still that trying to work it through. I think he's still trying to work it out, and I appreciate that he's throwing the partial. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I really put, do. I put it this way. But let me say when this. I read I'm Matthew twenty four, when that I, that's really what you believe. When I, I read Matthew twenty four, it's clear to me that Christ was of the expectation that Give that was going to happen. Yeah, Matthew yeah, twenty four cool. is has read Matthew twenty four. Okay, Matthew twenty four is where the the disciples, uh, Jesus, the disciples make a comment about the temple, mm-hmm. and Jesus says, "Well, not one stone is going to be left upon another." And the disciples are like, "Okay." When Look, is this Jesus, be? you got to tell us when this is going to happen. And he and he goes into for like three chapters a description of the end times and what's going to happen in the end times. And in the midst of that passage, he says, uh, he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. And I'm of the opinion that Christ nailed that on the head, and that that happened and in AD seventy that that generation didn't pass language, away. Generally, a generation is forty years. And it was inside of 40 years of him saying that, that the temple was destroyed. It was, it was either exactly 40 years or th- between 35 and 40 years. Right? Okay, and, and there's some language that he uses there about Christ uh, coming on the clouds of heaven. Yeah, uh, that refers to Daniel's prophecy about the Son of Man, uh, one that looks like a Son of Man coming on one the clouds like, of heaven to the Father. One like a Son of, a son of Man. One like a Son of yeah. Man, which, which that's the only other pr- place that that phrase shows up in the Old Testament. Christ is clearly referring specifically to that issue. And when you look at it, it doesn't say that Christ will return to the earth at that time, but says that that will be the point where Christ ascends to the Ancient of Days and receives a kingdom. 
right, in Daniel. And so, so it's clear to me that that's the case. In fact, one of the reasons it's so important to me is that if all of these prophecies that are all through the New Testament, it said, Paul says, this generation will not pass away until this happens. You know, Peter says this generation won't, won't pass away until this happens. If that didn't happen, then we've got a severe crisis in our faith in terms of what we believe about the Word of God. And I, I kind of feel like we have to believe that we, we have to, based on what we read in those passages, we have to open the history books and say, well, what happened in that, in that generation that we could say was a fulfillment of that? And when we do that and we look at the historical events surrounding A.D. 70, it's, it, it seems to me like the puzzles fall into place, all of which means that now I have to work out what do I believe about the millennium? And what do I believe about the final return of Christ and the, the, the culmination of all things? And that's where, honestly, I feel like I'm still working that out. Well, see, and Jonathan and I had this conversation. One of the things is the way that uh, I would say we, but I, I'll just limit it to me. The way that I approach biblical prophecy is that there's, there's, there's heavy and there's light, if you will. There, there's an, an, an immediate fulfillment and then there's an ultimate fulfillment. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I, that we get caught in in the Messianic Jewish community all the time is uh, Isaiah seven fourteen, right? Where it says, um, "For a virgin shall conceive, and, and you'll call him Emmanuel." Now, the word for for virgin there yeah. is Alma. Alma means more literally young maiden, yeah. and and it can imply virginity, but it doesn't require virginity. Betula is. Uh, a Hebrew word that is absolutely uh, r- describes a virgin. So, we, well, so, why so this, why this, is this ki- yeah. why is this true yeah. or why is this important? Yeah. Because in Isaiah's day, he had to go, and we see it in Isaiah eight. I think it's two and three. He goes and four, to the virgin, but he goes to the to the to the. I think it says a young prophetess in the New King James, and and she conceives, and apparently they she has a son that's called Maher. Oh, yeah, man, Mahalal. I yeah, I forget. Yeah. But uh, so, so what's my point there? If 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 Isaiah would have used Betula, he wouldn't have been able to have a son in the immediate fulfillment of that prophecy. But now we look to Jesus in Christian faith all around the world, and Messianic Judaism sees this passage the same way. But it's it's heavy and light. One is an immediate kind of light fulfillment, and one is the ultimate fulfillment of that. We use, and it, the, the, the King James translators translated it as virgin to prove Jesus as an ultimate fulfillment. So that's the way that I see. I agree with Jonathan that we see fulfillment in 70 AD. I think we see a lot of it. I don't see the ultimate of that, and I appreciate your reference to Daniel, but I think of him coming on the clouds, which is also what he says to the Pharisees and Sadducees during his trial, is you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. It doesn't say going on the clouds of glory, and so that's one thing that I'm interested in. The word in the Greek uh, for coming or going is is like the same word, and that's precisely uh, the difficulty there is is that it's not clear one way or the other, which drives me to say that we got to go to the Old Testament and see what the what the What's context was with, in, with in the original uh, yeah. passage there. And furthermore, the clouds of glory, when you when you study out clouds of glory all through the Old Testament, they always show up in the context of God coming in judgment. 
that God's going to come on the clouds of heaven. And you see, you see that, that phrase again and again and again, that he comes on the clouds of heaven and the context of judgment. Even the way that you believe, you know, that, that Christ is going to return on the clouds of heaven, right. it's in the context of judgment, right? So that, that, even, that even fits in with what you believe. And if that's the case, then once again, we don't just see a minor fulfillment of that in AD 70. We see a major fulfillment of that in AD 70. I mean, the the horror of what happened in AD 70 is very significant. So it looks like we're coming up on an, on the end here yeah, we're, we're, for today. We're, we're coming up to the to the end. So assuming that Christ doesn't return between now and next Sunday, <laughs> then we can continue this conversation in about 167 and, and a half And our hours. church will be meeting over at El Shaddai's new facility. What's the address again? I haven't got it memorized uh, yet. 206 East 4th Street. That's right. Okay. And you wanted to, we have time. You wanted to, we didn't have time last week. We kind of got caught. Mention short, a website. Mention a website. Yeah, I, I would say reviveisrael.org, www.reviveisrael.org. A lot of the, the things that, that inform my beliefs are, are there under the resources page. And Revive Israel, does it have a dash between them? No, no dash. One word. All one word, lowercase, gotcha. no spaces. All right. There you go. Walmart. All right. And uh, speaking of websites, go to WFMD.com, keyword faith, where you will find uh, an instantaneous link to the Faith Debate page where uh, I update the blog Monday through Friday. And it's not really so much my blog. It's my blog is your blog. You email me and I post it as long as it's not going to get me in trouble with like you know, my wife or something. <laughs> you know, no dirty language and that won't get posted. Uh, basically, if it's something that uh, a child shouldn't read, I try not to post it. Um, but I don't know if my sensibilities on that are the same as yours. Does that mean you're family friendly? I try. I try to be family friendly. But we talk about serious matters. So sometimes somebody will send me something that's that's you know, heavy. Ooh, it's heavy. So you might not want a child to be yeah. exposed to a heavy issue as opposed to light. As opposed to light. There you yes, go. Yes. Yes. Anyway, and uh, thanks to our sponsor, Putman Plumbing and Heating. How can we make you smile again? Thank you, Jonathan Schweitzer, senior pastor of Crossroads Valley Chapel, and Troy Wallace, director of Revive Israel North America, and the assistant congregational leader at El Shaddai Congregation. And thank you for listening. Until next week. God bless. Here at Putman Plumbing, we make a living by servicing our customers' needs, but we make our life by how we service our clients. The Putman Plumbing way combines value, ethics, honest answers, and amazing service because we believe you deserve it. Putman Plumbing, how can we make you smile?